Hey guys, it's Alec here to remind you to check the trigger warnings before today's episode. So get comfy and you can find everything in the description down below, including our new transcripts. Have a safe listen. Mythil presents Circe's Episode 12, The Man in the Shadows. Elias, are you busy? Mm, Not in particular. I need this to be recorded immediately. Uh, Jesse had a bit of an episode, and I've been told to be there ASAP. Right, I'll get it done in a flash. Your peach. See you later. Dr. Timor handed me this letter before he ran off to carry out his doctor duties. It has no name or subject on it, only a handwritten case file number. Let's get this over with. The session is recorded on the 15th of December 2022 by Elias Emanuel Short, therapist in training at Sunshine Valley Mental Institution. I don't know when it all started. I guess you have no reason to keep up with the passage of time when there's no one around to share it with. For context, let's say it's been about a year or two since everything went the way. When I was a kid, my favorite book was Pelle Alini Verden, which in English would translate to Pelle Alone in the World. It tells the story of a young boy who one day finds himself in a world with no one else around. I used to dream of what I would do if I was faced with the same setting. A world where no one could tell me what was right or wrong. I suppose I had greater plans for such a world back when I was a bit younger. However, I hadn't really spared the scenario much thought since I grew into adulthood. I can hardly blame my situation on a book I read as a kid. My wish to wake up alone in the world had faded into an abandoned memory as the years had passed and I had actually managed to create quite a life for myself. I had a regular office job, an apartment in Copenhagen, and a beautiful girlfriend by the name of Caroline. I wasn't the most social person on planet Earth, but I had my fair share of close friends and acquaintances. Still, as much as I liked a night out with my friends, the same way I would value a night by myself or, for time to time, accompanied by Caroline. I can hardly remember her face now. I have looked at it every morning for seven years, yet it seemed to have slipped away completely. I can sit for hours trying to recall first the big moments we shared together, then something more mundane. Nowadays I can't even recall any major events, and it saddens me more than words could ever describe. Only her name refuses to leave my mind. It's a taunting memory of the woman time made me forget. It all started one morning as the sun had made its way into my apartment 
bouncing off the walls behind me. I groaned and turned over in bed, only to realize that the other side had been abandoned. It wasn't uncommon for Caroline to be called in early for work. I seem to remember they often had a shortage of staff, and she was a hard-working woman who was always more than happy to catch up on any slack that might have reared its ugly head. I just frowned to myself before getting on with my morning routine. If I hadn't been too stuck in my own head, maybe I would have noticed the eerie silence outside my apartment. A silence that wouldn't have been possible without a complete absence of life beyond that wall. Yet, somehow it didn't seem odd to me. I suppose you could blame it on my mp3 player and a pair of well-functioning headphones. The world would always pass me by whenever music ran through my body. It allowed my brain the sense of calmness I had struggled to find for years before I tried filling my mornings with songs. The streets of Copenhagen's inner city were always bussing with noise. Cars passing by in a rush, bikes filling the streets, humans talking, laughing, or hurrying towards the upcoming train or bus. Copenhagen is always filled with life, showing every aspect of what it means to be alive. I could spend hours at my doorstep watching people pass me by, taking in the diversity of it all. Yet, as my door opened upon the world once more, there was not a single sound or soul to meet me on the other side. The streets were simply empty, as if the never-sleeping city of Denmark had managed to steal a moment of slumber for the first time in forever. No cars passed me as I made my way through the city, no people mindlessly making their way towards a fast-approaching bus or some bike that had been chained to a tree. As my headphones laid abandoned against my heaving chest, I could hear the only audible sound available to me, my own breathing. All around me was the purest sound of silence, the kind that can probably drive you insane in the long term. I had never had a dream this realistic. The sense of dread that overcame me was one that I had never experienced before. I wanted to scream. No one was there, not a single soul. No matter how far or how fast I ran, stores empty, building sites abandoned, streets echoing with silence. I slumped down against the nearest container, placed my hands before my eyes. My chest was moving rapidly in sync with my breathing. The pumping of my heart against my ribcage made me dizzy. I didn't know if I was going to vomit or faint, but I was well aware that there was no way I would be able to move without consequences. No matter how hard I tried to convince myself that it was nothing but a bad dream, the way my abdomen started to cramp told me another story. It's weird how things seem so simple when we were kids. There is such an innocence that digs its claws into us in an attempt to make every scenario as carefree as humanly possible. I should have taken advantage of this new world with no one to force the law upon me, yet I couldn't do anything but cry until my mind melted into a gooey mass. I can't for the life of me explain what happened next. All I remember is flashing lights and waking up in a hospital room. A gown draped loosely over my shivering body and small twitches still running through it from the panic attack I'd had earlier that day. Well, I don't actually know if I ended up there in the same day. It is just a guess. There was no sun shining from outside. 
only a soft beam which stemmed from the full moon outside my window. I wasn't sure how I ended up there, but staying put wasn't going to answer my questions. So I unplugged the machines connected to my body and placed a weary foot upon the cold floors of the hospital. The halls were deadly quiet, and while some of the rooms had the lights turned on, they all seemed unoccupied. I looked through every nook and cranny I could sneak myself into and didn't see any signs of human life. The place was deserted as it seemed, and there was absolutely no way I was going to stick around a creepy empty hospital. I held the gown close against me and bolted through a back door. I was lucky enough to stumble across a donation container, which had been filled to the brim with lightly used clothing. Some of it had a lingering smell of the places they had once called home. The outside air was still around me. The only wind I felt was the lightest of breezes against my cheek at some odd minutes. There wasn't really a pattern to it, just some gentle sweeping as it swayed straight curls against my face. There were no cars as I walked by the side of the road, my legs almost dragging behind me in exhaustion. After what felt like days, I stood before my front door, the too big hoodie I had found earlier resting loosely against my shoulders. It's weird how much you miss in everyday life that just seems so much more prominent as you are forced to pay attention to it. I hadn't noticed a dent on the left corner of the door that led into my apartment complex, but there it was, staring right back at me. I could almost see myself in it, and even though I was not yet a dent myself, I did feel as if a small piece of me had been forcefully taken away while the rest was left behind. I swung the door open and the dark hole stretched out before me. I skipped a few steps as I made my way up the stairs, praying every second that I would come face to face with one of my nosy neighbors, who would ask me prying questions about the lack of pants beneath my oversized hoodie or the circumstances behind my lost shoes. Yet, nobody came. I locked the door behind me out of habit, letting my tired body slide against its rough wooden surface. My eyes slid close and sleep overtook me before I could move any further into my so-called home. However, as soon as I awoke the next morning, I was back inside the covers of my bed, the duvet wrapped neatly around my body, a tray of food had been left on my bedside table, and I am still not sure where it came from. I hope that it had all been some horrible dream, that maybe I wasn't alone after all. I jumped to my feet and peered out the bedroom window, only for my heart to drop as my eyes fell upon the empty streets before me. There were no humans or living beings as far as I could see. What do you do when you realize there is no one left to save you? If the world only consisted of you, nothing really matters. It's like screaming into an empty void. No matter how loud you shout, no one is going to hear it. You can beg and cry, but it won't even make a difference. I guess finding a purpose in an empty world is about as easy as learning to breathe underwater. It's nothing I had ever thought of trying, nor do I really think it would be possible, at least as far as I have discovered. I tried. I swear I did. I can't tell you how long I spent pacing my bedroom. I think at one point I made myself watch the same five movies on repeat just to drown out the silence. 
I hadn't really paid attention to them at first. But as the days flew by, I realized they never seemed to stay the same. Small things would change. Things you wouldn't have noticed if you hadn't just watched it for the 50th time that week. Words would appear on objects, small messages I could have sworn had been left there for me. They warned me of a danger, yet I couldn't even begin to understand what kind of danger that was. I would hear a voice in my head at night, whispering about his gaze upon me, how he was always watching. Why me? The morning I first appeared here, I was scared out of my mind. I was sure I had fallen asleep in my room, which I hadn't seen the outside of for god knows how long. Yet, as I opened my eyes that morning, an almost overwhelming abundance of the color white overtook my vision. My brain tried to assure me that I must have simply rolled over in my sleep so that I was facing one of the pillows neatly placed against the headboard of my bed. It didn't take me long to come to the conclusion that that wasn't the case, not even in the slightest. The walls that had me captured inside them were white padded. It was a form of an isolation room clearly made to keep people safe from themselves. My hands had been moved onto my chest and pinned down by a straitjacket. Words can't describe the fear that rushed through me as I started to doubt everything that's happened to me. How do you convince yourself that this must have been a terrible mistake and you obviously haven't gone nuts when you wake up in a literal definition of a mental hospital isolation chamber? I can't even tell you with certainty that I have had a clear mind. As I look back, it's all such a blurry mess. Some things stand so picture clear, yet the memories I had previously treasured are nothing but a blurry mess. I would wake up in the morning, or I assumed it was morning, and on the floor a tray had been neatly placed for me. It was often the same assortment of food, with a few variations from day to day. I have no idea how the food somehow appeared there. Whenever I yelled if anyone was out there, the only thing I was met with was silence. Still, the food kept coming three times a day like some magical clockwork. I sat and stared at that trap door intensely, waiting for the tray to be pushed within the walls of my new prison, yet I never did see the hands that pushed the tray inside. I still can't explain what I saw. Somehow, it just appeared before me in a blink of an eye. After a while, I stopped trying to catch a glimpse of anyone. After what must have been days, another transition happened, and I woke up in the room I have been in ever since. The biggest change being my hands no longer pressed against me, as I had been let go with no straight jacket this time. The walls here are painted a faded green color, which, judging by the walls that aren't affected by the sunlight from the window, have been a vibrant color once upon a time. My windows are locked at all hours of the day. However, I now have a desk, multiple colored notebooks, a bed with sun-yellow bedsheets, and a few new outfits folded neatly in a closet. Other small things have been given to me over time, but I have no idea by whom. No matter at what hour I gaze upon the fields outside my room, I don't see a single being roaming around. I haven't heard the sounds of humans for longer than I can recall. These notebooks are all that's keeping me from completely going insane.
I wanted to write this down to tell whoever might read this, though I doubt anyone ever will, about the man in the shadows. At this point, you may not believe a word I've written, but I assure you, you must look out for the man in the shadow. He first appeared two days after I'd woken up in my current room. He stood very still within the darkest corner of my bedroom. His yellow-hued eyes stuck upon my frame. At first, I thought that I was seeing things. No sane person would look at the corner of their bedroom and see a human-like figure staring back at them. I pinched my arm to make sure I was awake, which only led me to let out a small cry. That was proof enough for me. I didn't hesitate before I spoke, asking the figure who he was and what he was doing in my room. The figure seemed taken aback by the words I'd uttered, its lips curling into a Cheshire-like smile, teeth baring for a second. Its brassy voice rang in my almost empty room. Why, I'm just here to check up on you, my old friend. I had no memory of ever having a friend with such a grin, nor did the voice seem familiar in the slightest. But I hadn't seen another living being in longer than I could recall, so I accepted the figure as my old friend. I expected no less of you, my dearest old friend. I spoke in what I believed was a confident voice, bringing back the Cheshire grin upon his horrid face. And so we talked like old friends. It held up the facade for a long while, almost making me feel guilty for forgetting someone who had clearly been there for me through most of the life I had known before. But when do you really know if something is real or not? I often ask myself that. To me, he was real for weeks, maybe even months, when he would visit me in the night. I did try to ask him how or why he was visiting me after midnight, but he just shrugged and told me there was nothing like a late-night chat to strengthen the bond between friends. I suppose I should have known that something wasn't right when its eyes would bury themselves within my skin, staring at me like I had been served on a platter with an apple wrenched between my teeth. I guess identifying a look like that can be hard. It's not exactly every day or even ever that you become the prey of another being. It would wait for my awakening in the night and speak to me with no hesitation, almost like it knew me. I think it did know me, but it also became apparent that I did not know it. It had a way of changing my focus and never revealing any major information that might have given it away as the imposter that it was. Weeks had passed before I first started paying proper attention to it. I believe the clock had just struck two in the night, and there was nothing but moonlight reflections on the pale skin of the creature that had propped itself up on the chair by my desk. I never did describe it to you, did I? Well... It was a masculine frame, but the hair on its head was patchy. Kind of gave me the impression of a painting coming to life, since its face almost just wasn't quite right. Its arms are slender and long, and while the legs have the same slenderness, they're way shorter than would have been expected with the arms that length. The most noticeable part of it is its almost perfectly round torso, 
that doesn't match the bony slenderness of the rest of it. I tried my hardest to keep it all inside, to not let my worries show as night after night it crept a bit closer to me. I'm writing this letter because I think I'm going to die tonight. Yesterday it put its hand on me. I could feel the clamminess of its palms against my skin. They were icy cold and made chills run down my spine. No human could ever feel that cold to the touch. It frightens me. I feel a growing sense of doom as the sun starts to set outside my window. It will come back soon, but I doubt I'll be here to watch the sun rise tomorrow. Whoever might be reading this, look out for the creature in the shadow. If you suddenly find yourself alone in a world you thought you knew, I'm sorry. I have no words of advice to give you, for eventually the creature in the shadows will rear its ugly head again. I have long since forgotten my name. Yet no matter who finds this letter, know that I was a good man, and that anyone can be subjected to his game. If you're its next target, good luck, you might need it. I have accepted my end. Will you accept yours? I can only assume this letter was found in Jeremy Spings' room, judging by the uniqueness of his case. He's been a patient of ours who was brought in six months ago by his girlfriend Destiny Scotts, who Jeremy seems to misremember as his ex-girlfriend Caroline Watson, Destiny told us during a follow-up. Mr. Springs was a rather special case. He seemed to have no awareness of any presence around him and was generally non-responsive. His therapist diagnosed him with the worst case of prosopagnosia she has ever seen, yet I doubt that diagnosis is even remotely close to what must have been the matter with Jeremy Springs. Mr. Springs went missing this morning on the 15th of December 2022, with no signs of breakout. Everything in his room stood as it had been the day before. It seems almost as if he's just vanished into thin air. I'm still working hard on a logical explanation for Mr. Spring's disappearance, but I'll be sure to pass this on to his therapist, though I doubt it will lead to any major breakthrough in his case. Circe's is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Today's episode featured Alexander Bautna as Elias Emanuel Short, Henry Johannesson as Cairo Midas Timor, audio edited by Els Sadi and Henry Johannesson, manuscript edited by Els Sadi and Rita Bauna, and written by Alexander F. Bauna. If you like what we do, give us a rating on your podcaster of choice, or check out our Ko-fi where we have some art up for sale or you can donate however much you feel comfortable with. If you'd like to engage with more of what we do, check us out on our public Discord. All links will be below in the description. Thank you for today.